When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. What did you go out into the desert to see? A prophet. Yes, and more than a prophet. If you were at all like many Americans in these last couple of weeks, you have been out bargain hunting. You have been searching for the best price for the best gadget with the most bells and whistles. You are searching for a good bargain. John the Baptist in this message is seeking for a bargain, the bargain of centuries. He wants to know, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the Messiah that everyone is waiting for? That is what Advent is about. It's about the bargain of the centuries. You see, Advent means to come. We are between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. We live in this moment between thunder and lightning, or better said, lightning and thunder. And we are in the middle of that, His first and second coming. Advent means that when the Messiah comes, He will change everything. Sometimes we talk about the advent of the telegraph. Its advent forever changed the way that we communicated long distance. Or we talk about the advent of the internal combustion engine. It changed the way that we move long distances. And that, many of you are probably too young to remember that. I think all of us are. Um, but you may remember a different advent January 9th, 2007, Steve Jobs announced the advent of the Jesus phone, I mean the iPhone, and we had to wait until June 27th, 2007. And if you were at all living in New York during that time, you could have gone down to Fifth Avenue and you could have gone to the Apple Store. And from the 27th to the 29th, you would have sat in a line 
going blocks and blocks down and waited two days just to get that iPhone that would forever change everything. I had friends that lived with me in England, and they traveled two hours south to Regent Street, the Apple store there, and they waited for it because this phone would change everything, and it has. You can now go on a date and sit at the restaurant with your partner and never, ever make eye contact. It has forever changed the way that we communicate. But this is what John is asking. Are you what we bargained for, or did we get cheated as the Messiah? Are you what we bargained for, or have we gotten more than what we bargained for? John the Baptist is struggling emotionally and intellectually with the idea of the advent of the Messiah. You see, Messiah means the anointed one. That term is used 39 times in the Old Testament. And there were three types of leaders, if you will, that were anointed, and that's how they were introduced into their office. You had prophets who were anointed, and that meant that they now had the ability to speak on behalf of God. You had priests who were anointed, and they were now consecrated to offer prayers and praise to God on behalf of the people. And lastly, you had kings who were anointed. Unlike the rest of the surrounding cultures, they might have been crowned. The kings of Israel were anointed. That is how they were made kings. So John the Baptist is struggling intellectually with those ideas, but emotionally he's struggling with the idea, when the Messiah comes, everything is going to be set right. And yet in his, in his own situation, he sits in a jail, prisoner to King Herod. He's saying, if you're the Messiah, I should not be in prison. This is not what it looks like when the Messiah comes. And what Jesus is telling John is that actually the Messiah is more than that, not less than that. Look at verses 7 through 9. What did you come out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. You see, the people of Israel were expecting a prophet to speak the Word of God to them. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to speak words about God to you. I am the Word of God Himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What did you come out to see words about God? No, and so much more. Secondly, we see, we see this in verses 2 through 6. What did you come out to see? A priest? Yes, I tell you, and more than a priest. You see, in the Old Covenant, if you had leprosy or if you were, or, or if you were less able, you couldn't be part of the congregation. And unless the priests interceded for you or, or spoke words over you saying that you were whole, you were barred from entering the congregation. And here is what 
Jesus is telling John the, the Baptist's disciples. The lame are walking. The lepers are cleansed. Eyes are being opened. These are the very prophecies that you heard about in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news. Or what you see in Isaiah 35 that we read about the coming of this, this prophet, this priest who would, who would bring healing to the nation of Israel. But you can see that John in his own life sees the brokenness of his situation and he's saying, this Messiah who's supposed to be a priest and, and live in this office of priesthood, he's not doing it the way that I think it should be done. I'm really struggling with you being the Messiah, Jesus. Lastly, in terms of the three intellectual ways in which John the Baptist struggles with Jesus is with the idea of his kingship. And we see that in verses 10 through 12. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. You see, John the Baptist was a herald. Heralds went before kings, and they would tell the citizens of that kingdom, the king is coming, prepare the way. And John the Baptist does that at the beginning of all the Gospels. Prepare the way. We read that two weeks ago in our lectionary. Josh told us about John the Baptist being that sort of prophetic, truth-telling friend that is going to tell you when you got a mustard stain on your shirt or when you're doing something very awkwardly, but he's going to give you the truth that you need. And John is saying, I prepared the way for this king, and if your king, your kingship should look different than my imprisonment. A king is someone who rightly orders the world, and my world is not rightly ordered. If you were king, I wouldn't be in prison. If you remember the story in Samuel where the people of Israel come to the prophet Samuel and they say, we would love to have a king like all the other surrounding nations. Samuel is crestfallen and he goes to Yahweh and he says, They've rejected me as their leader. And do you remember what God says to Samuel? He says, no, they haven't rejected you as king, as leader. They've rejected me. The Anglican theologian and pastor, John Stott, defines sin this way. And it's a really helpful way of thinking about it. You see, sometimes we think sin is breaking a rule. But actually... It's more helpful in this instant to think of it this way. Sin is humanity substituting themselves for God. And salvation is nothing more and nothing less than God substituting himself for humanity. It is not you that they have rejected as king, but me. Because you see... God is telling Samuel, do you remember back in the garden, Samuel, when Adam and Eve were there, and they said, we don't want to serve you, God. And God said to them, you can serve me in the garden, in this paradise, 
or you can rule and reign in the wilderness. And out they go, substituting themselves for God. And then God says, it will not always be so. And Jesus comes and takes our place, substituting himself for us. And that is why Jesus is out in the wilderness, and John the Baptist's disciples go out to the wilderness and say, are you the king that we're expecting? The king has substituted himself for us. You see, every Jewish little uh, faction that there was in the first century had an idea of what the Messiah, the anointed one, should be. You had the Pharisees who were the the very ultra-religious folk. They wanted the Messiah to be this amazing prophet, this amazing truth-teller. The truth-teller that was promised in Deuteronomy 18. You had the Sadducees who, who... who were basically Hellenized Jews who had, who, had, who had bought into the surrounding culture and the surrounding values of the peoples that encircled Israel. And they had pretty much demythologized and said, oh, all of that is just fancy fables. And so they read the Scriptures, but they didn't believe a thing that the Scripture said. And they just thought that, that the Messiah would be this kind of priestly guy that would help them live their lives better and and bring about social healing. And then you have the Qumran community or the Essenes, those super holy people that were even holier than the Pharisees who had segregated themselves as a small little community enclosed and away from everyone else, and they were awaiting the right priest to come and bring the right liturgy back because The temple had the bad liturgy, and we have the good liturgy. And when that priest comes, we will have the best liturgy ever, and everyone's going to flock to us. And then you had the last group in the Jewish community of the first century, and they were the zealots. And you see, they saw the Messiah not necessarily as a prophet, not necessarily even as a priest, this Messiah would be king. Oh, this, this Messiah would overthrow Roman rule and get rid of the rod of the oppressor. He would be the one that would fulfill those words that we heard in the Magnificat. He has exalted the lowly and those who are rich, the oppressors, he sent away empty. That's what the zealots wanted. They wanted a king who would drive out the Romans. But you see, all those different views of the Judaisms of first century are the same things that you and I struggle with. We view God in in a way that, that actually isn't favorable or even the way He actually operates in this world. The author C.S. Lewis put it this way. He was a teacher of of medieval literature at Oxford University, and he lost his wife. He struggled emotionally and intellectually just as much as John the Baptist did. And after the death of his wife, he wrote this. My idea of God, he writes in A Grief Observed, has to be shattered time after time. He shatters it himself. He is the great iconoclast. Could we not almost say that that is one of the marks of his presence? The incarnation is the supreme example 
it leaves all previous ideas of the Messiah in ruins. And most are offended by the iconoclasm. And blessed are those who are not. That is one of the hallmarks and the marks of God's presence. And we read a collect today. The collect, stir up your mighty power and save us because we are sorely hindered. This was actually the collect that, that Archbishop Cranmer wrote in, well, or translated and then rewrote and adapted in 1549. It's supposed to be read before Advent, but we read it in the third week of Advent in the Episcopal Church instead of like all of the good Anglicans. But anyway, I digress. But the point is we acknowledge that we are in bondage and we need God, the Holy Spirit, to stir our hearts. The hallmark of the presence of the Holy Spirit is to shatter our vision of God and give us something bigger than that. So as we come to the table and as your teeth break that bread, let God, the Holy Spirit, break the small vision that you have of God. And will you see God not in his first advent, but will you see God in his second advent, not coming just humbly as a baby, but in great glory and majesty? Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, for his coming kingdom. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit and would you reveal Jesus in a new, mighty, and precious way tonight.